0: I'm going to read it before I make any other comments. Then we'll talk about it. Jonah chapter 3 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. and turn from his fierce anger so that we might not perish. When God God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. Would you just pray with me one more time? Father, thanks for your word. Please open the eyes of our heart now by your Spirit that we could see wonderful things from it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So what you have in this passage is um, the, or an account of the greatest revival or spiritual awakening that we have recorded anywhere in the scriptures and probably throughout all time. There has never been a single uh, greater move of God in one specific locality than what you see here in the city of Nineveh. Um, Nineveh, they were, they were a godless people. They were a pagan people. They did not know the God of the Bible until Jonah came and proclaimed it to them. Um, And what we've been looking at over the last several weeks in Jonah, kind of I said the the big sentence sermon for the entire book, is that we serve a God who's on a mission to bring mercy through a message spoken by men. And chapter 3 is kind of the, um, the pinnacle in some ways of the book that you see Jonah finally getting on board with where God had wanted him to go, and we see this mercy coming through this message that Jonah had to proclaim. And my aim this morning... Is just a couple really simple things that we would be renewed in just a few real basic things. One is that we would be renewed in our commitment to just the simplicity of what God has called us to do. Folks, what God has called us to do, um, at times I'll admit that it can be difficult, but it is not complicated. It is not complicated. He has called us to share the gospel, to proclaim what we're going to talk about that. And then secondly, because just what we have here, well, just what this is in chapter 3, it is it, it is an account, it is a description of this great spiritual awakening or revival. Again, revival is not even really quite the right word. I'm using that loosely because re, the prefix, you know, means like it would happen again. There was no re, it's just a revival, Vival, not a revival. Just the first time it had happened, I... My second aim is just that I I pray that we would leave here today longing for God to do this. Longing for God to do something like just a little bit what we see Him do in this passage. Because you know guys, we need it. We need God to awaken our hearts to his holiness and to our sin. And again, I'm sorry for being emotional already this morning. I just, I I feel such a great sense of inadequacy this morning as I stand up here and talk about this. Because you know, as a preacher, I, you know, it's what we do. I, I say a lot of words, Right? trying to explain the text. But it, and words are part of it, but, but we, so, we so need God to move in our hearts. And honestly, if I can, as a preacher, sometimes if I can just be transparent, I get, I get really tired of hearing my own voice. I really do. I talk a lot on Sunday mornings and I talk to people during the week. And at times I just get tired of hearing myself talk. And I'm trying to be, be faithful, as I know all of you are as well too, with what God has called you to do. But man, we need more than just words, don't we? Amen. Amen. And so I, that's just my, my second hope is just that we would leave here this morning praying that God would do something like what we're going to talk about and what we see described here before us, that we would pray here praying something what Habakkuk prayed in Habakkuk 3.2. Love this prayer. He said, Lord, I've heard of your fame and I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. And in your wrath, remember mercy. Amen? I know most of you probably haven't read Habakkuk lately. Let me just read that one more time. That would be a good one to memorize. Lord, I have heard of your fame, and I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Lord, Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. And in your wrath, remember mercy. Let's look at Jonah chapter 3. I, I just want to drill down again on this big idea that we've been talking about, that God is on a mission to bring mercy through a message spoken by men. And I want to drill down on that a little bit um, and say the same thing, but in some different ways, and with a little bit more emphasis. Um, and then we're just going to look at the description of the revival in verses 6 through 10. But first of all, I want to unpack this statement, that in regards to spiritual awakening, in regards to whatever it is that you want to call what we see here in this text, is that God is the source, man is the mouthpiece, and the, but the power is in the message. God is the source, man is the mouthpiece, the power is in the message. I want you to pay close attention to verse 2, where now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time in verse 1, and of course, we've been going over that the last couple weeks, because Jonah had been disobedient, okay, and he had turned away from what God had called him to do the first time, okay, but again, all it takes is just obedience to what God calls us to do, and his will will be accomplished, is that he now gets up a second time, and, and God says this, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it. Same thing he told him to do in chapter 1, verse 2, when he called him the first time. But he says, call out against it, the message that I tell you. And there's an emphasis here on God is going to give him the message that he wants him to preach. And again, we'll look at what this message is in a little bit. It's really not that profound. But there's an emphasis here on the fact that God is the source of this message. Okay? Okay? You say, well, that's neat that God, you know, had there was some sort of, you know, supernatural thing going on here where Jonah was hearing, as they did many times in the Old Testament. I don't know if it was audibly or in a vision, or uh, but a little bit more um, uh, supernatural. Uh, that, that's not the right way to put it either. But a little bit more direct than just through writing, as we have it as we have it today. Um, but whatever was happening, you know, you might think, well, man, I wish God would give me a message, folks. He has. He's given us a message. It is the message of the gospel and of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? And this is sourced in God Almighty. He is the source of this message. Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He's writing to them, and he says, "...you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you is not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts." is that Paul had a deep understanding that this message that they had been given, it had been given to them by God, by him. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul is pretty lit in Galatians. He is really mad at the Galatian church because they're turning away from the message that they'd received through them from God. And Paul says in chapter 1 verse 6, he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preached, let him be accursed As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. And then Paul says, "For am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I were trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul is deeply aware that this message he's received, he's received from God. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations." My my point being here, when I say that God is the source, man is the mouthpiece, and the power is in the message, focusing on that first part, that God is the source, folks, don't forget where this comes from. You know, over the last couple years, it's like this. There's been this great uh, desire for us to know where we're getting our food from, right? Do you know what I mean? Like we like things that are locally sourced, yes? I know you all went organic on me. I know it's true. Don't try to hide it. We want locally sourced, we want our vegetables and our produce to be organic. We want fair trade coffee. We want free range chickens. We want grass-fed cattle. We're very concerned about the source. And if something's been messed with, if it's not been treated in the right way, then, oh, that's not actually organic. Or, I don't know, was that uh, chicken, did he have like, you know, was he free to just roam around and lay those eggs first? We're very concerned about the source of our food, but it seems, though, that we've, we're not that concerned about the source of the message that God has given us. And I say that because men jack with it all the time and make it say something that it does not say and make it mean something that it just doesn't mean The message of the gospel is about the glory of God through his son, Jesus Christ. And that he came and he died a bloody, gruesome death on the cross because the wrath of God was being poured out on him for our sin. And he didn't come and die for you just to show you how much you're worth. He died for you because your sin cost that much. And the justice of God would not allow him to sweep our wickedness under the rug. But a price had to be paid. And it was paid on the cross. And when I say that God is the source, man is the mouthpiece, and the the power is in the message, the reason that the power is in the message is because it's sourced in God. That God made a way for us to be made right with him through faith in the death of his son. When I say the powers in the message, you're like, what is in the power of God? Yes, the, the power is ultimately in God. But, but because this message has been sourced in him, we should not mess with it. And we should care about it a lot more than we care about where our chickens were when they laid their eggs. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, listen, for it, the gospel message, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also the Greek. For, why? Why is it the power of God? Listen, for in it, in the gospel, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You're like, well, okay, gospel means good news. It is the power of God unto salvation. But why is that good news that God has made us righteous? Because the way we tend to read that is we think, well, man, I want the power of God revealed in my life so that I can have purpose, so that I can have self-esteem, so that I can reach my full potential, so that I can be successful. But see, God is not worried about those things. He's worried about something else. He's worried about our greatest need. Our greatest need is how we can be made righteous with an almighty, holy God. And so he says, it is the power of God unto salvation, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. And the reason that matters is, verse 18, the next verse, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Is that our greatest need is how to be made right with an almighty, holy God, and God has done that for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of his Son and through this message that we have to proclaim that you can be made right with an almighty, holy God. This message has power in it. It is the power of God. This message has power to make unrighteous people righteous before God. There is no greater miracle. And God did through his son what we absolutely most needed but what most of the time we value the least. Praise God that he has acted not because of us but despite us and that he knew what we needed most and so he sent his son and he's given us this good news message that we can be made right with him god is the source man is the mouthpiece the powers and the message just for a second Man is the mouthpiece. Again, I've I've been saying this, and we see in this text, like God doesn't need Jonah, but God in his sovereignty has chosen to use Jonah. God does not need us, but in his sovereignty he has chosen to use us. He uses man as his method, as his mouthpiece, to proclaim the gospel. That's why we see Jonah getting up and going a second time. And and here's, when I say mouthpiece, again in verse 2, In chapter 1, verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2, and in chapter 3, verse 4, what does Jonah do? He calls out, or some translations say he cried out. He just proclaimed it. There is power in the message because it is sourced in God. And it was Jonah's responsibility, and it is our responsibility to share it. You do not need to stand on a street corner and you do not have to have a bullhorn, but you have to share it with words. And I just want you to notice here what God doesn't tell Jonah to do. Jonah is going into a city that is different from him. Like like he's not going to just naturally connect with the culture there. They probably dress different. They, they, They speak a little different. They value different things. But notice what God doesn't tell Jonah to do. He doesn't say, Jonah, I want you to go, and here's what I want you to do to reach the Ninevites. I want you to take a survey. And I want you to kind of find out what the needs are, and then I want you to do your best to meet those felt needs. Jonah, I want you to be a good listener. Jonah, because you know that they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Or Jonah, I've got an idea. I I want us to go in and we're just going to give away a bunch of freebies. We're going to give away some free merch, some free swag, t-shirts that say, Jonah, prophet of God, I survived the whale. (laughs) Here you go. And then we'll get their attention and then Jonah, you know, maybe we'll begin to have a conversation. He says, Jonah, I want you to go and I want you to cry out this message that I give you. And just to be clear, I don't really have a problem about be, with being a good listener. We should be, and I want to meet felt needs, and I want to understand what those things are. But folks, when we major on the minors and we minor on the majors, we always get ourselves in trouble, and we are experts at this in our culture. Is that God has given us a message of life to proclaim about the death and the resurrection of His Son. And all those other things, listen, if, you, if all those other things are taking your focus or your attention, then just stop it. Because you know what? God doesn't ultimately need them. What he needs is people who have received this good news message who are willing to stand up and to proclaim it. And to proclaim it in love. And to proclaim it as though it is the very words of God, because it is. Luke chapter 24, after Jesus had risen from the dead, Says that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. Proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things, he says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5, Paul says, "And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come to pro- proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God." I've been so I've been so grieved over the last year year and a half not just with all the the pandemic and virus stuff but but much of the much of the racial um tension and ra- racial messaging that's gone forward and I want to take a minute here just to because this touches on it I um folks you'll understand what I'm saying Reparations for racism, which is wrong? Reparations have been made. They've been made through the death of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of sins, no no matter whether you're red, yellow, black, white, or brown, we're all sinners and we need Jesus. And it's an error on both sides to think that somehow man can make reparations for sin that was wicked and terrible. Racism is terrible where it, where it exists in the human heart, but racism doesn't come from the color of your sin from from the color of your skin. Racism comes from the same place that all other sin comes from. It comes from the heart, and only Jesus Christ can change the heart. And I've been grieved over the last year how I've seen pastors, guys who, who in the past I've learned and they've been faithful have fallen into this trap of trying to appease the world. Trying to do things that, that that God hasn't called them to do. God has called us to proclaim the gospel. He's called us to teach the word. He's called us to exalt Christ. And honestly, over the last year, the thing that I've been more grieved by than anything is, yeah, you know, there's craziness in the world. There's always been craziness in the world. Why would we expect people that don't know Jesus to understand this or to act Like we expect them to act, or we we think that God would want them to act. They don't know God. But the problem is that in the church, we can't even get our own message right. And I want us to have a renewed zeal, passion for knowing Jesus Christ and Him crucified. and knowing nothing else, because that is enough. The cross is enough. God is the source, man is the mouthpiece, the power is in the message. Notice also, very clearly here, the message that Jonah was given. I don't. It says, here's what he called out in verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now I think he probably said some more words than this, but this was his sentence sermon. This was the summary of his message. It's not very seeker sensitive. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. But listen... It was this message of judgment that was the means of mercy. You see that? He preached a message that was primarily about the coming judgment. Very specific. Forty days. Forty days. That's what you got. Forty days. And Nineveh will be overthrown. And that message... By the power of God was taken and it pierced the hearts of the Ninevites. And I want to tell you folks, if you think you're being loving by withholding the message of judgment, you're actually withholding a means of mercy. We should not Ourselves go out of our way to be offensive because the message is offensive enough. It is good news, but it there, it absolutely brings with it a level of offense. And the offense is that I don't care who you are, how old you are, who, how old you are, who your mama is, who your daddy was, who your grandma was, who your grandpa was, where you come from, what the color of your skin is. You're a sinner. And every single person is born with the wrath of God against him. But God in his wrath is also merciful. And he has made a way for you to be made right with him. You think, well, man, that's just, maybe that was just Jonah or Eric, this is the Old Testament. Or, you know, and Paul, Paul was pretty crusty. He seemed like a kind of a crusty old guy in the New Testament. But not Jesus. Jesus was all teddy bears and rainbows. Not true not true. Luke chapter 13, there were some present at that very time who came to Jesus and told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Pilate was a bad dude and he killed some people and he and Jesus answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18, Jesus went on, on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all you others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The chapter before that, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus said, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do to you. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. He's speaking of God. In Acts chapter 24, again Paul though and the apostles, they did preach the same message. Paul has a chance to share a message before a man who has the power to release him. Because Paul at, at that time is in chains. And in Acts chapter 24, it says, After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul reasoned with him about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. And Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present, and when I get opportunity, I will summon you. When he stood before the man who had the power to set him free from prison, Paul didn't hold back but he preached on righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. The message of judgment was was the means of mercy. So Jonah calls out, and now verse 5, we begin to see the response. And may God, in his sovereign grace, do this in our day. Verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed God. They believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. Another principle I just want to spend a little bit of time on. Listen carefully, I'll say it twice. Biblical change is always rooted by faith in God's word, but is revealed through works to God's glory. I'll say that again. Biblical change is always rooted by faith in God's word, but it is revealed through works to God's glory. Again, verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed God, but jump down to verse 10, and we'll go back then and we'll unpack what they actually did in between here. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it okay so they believed now does god know their hearts does god know their hearts yes he knows their hearts absolutely he knows their hearts he knows every human heart they believed but when god saw what they did okay martin luther said this probably the most succinctly i'll give you a couple quotes here of some old school good guys throughout history speaking of this connection between faith and works He said, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Uh, In the same way, in the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 11, paragraph 2, in case you wanted to know, they say it like this, faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness, is the alone instrument of justification, yet is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces, and is no dead faith, but works by love. Charles Spurgeon said, Although we are sure that men are not saved for the sake of their works, yet we are equally sure that no man will be saved without them. <coughs> Here's the point. You've heard me say this. If you've been coming to Murcio for any period of time, this is of the utmost importance. I know that I repeat it a lot, but you have to get it because everybody always gets screwed up on this point, and it's important. Okay? We are saved by faith alone. Okay? That is root, but our works are fruit. You cannot produce works. We're very much against a works-based salvation, thinking that you can just do works that will somehow make, somehow make you right with God. You are justified by faith alone, but that faith, if it is real, it always produces good works. Now hear me. When I'm speaking of works, I'm not talking about sinless perfection, but I am talking about a change in direction. Not sinless perfection, but a change in direction. I don't know if any of you are like this, but um, especially like, like locals around here, but especially this time of year going into the fall is tourist season, okay? If you're visiting with us from the hotel, we love you. We're glad you, <laughs> we're, we're, we're glad you come and, you know, shop and stuff. But for those of us who live around here, we know the back roads, all right? So, you know, I am not going through Berlin during the middle of the day on a Saturday. Can I get an amen from somebody? Come on. Come <laughs> on. Uh, so, you know, you're sh- shooting around all the back roads and stuff. But so we live out of Lake Buckhorn, and I br- you know, but I bring the boys in to Highland, you know, uh, or at least the older ones every, every morning. And so we have our little route that we run through Saltilla, you know. Um, but the other day, the little back road that I always take, there was a road closed sign there. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but when I see a road closed sign, I'm like, is it really? <laughs> you're yeah, like, is it, is it really closed? Do you know what I mean? Like is it real? Ah, like I see what it says. It's very clear. Like yeah, it's closed, but ah, I bet I can get through. And uh, sometimes I do, by the way, actually get through when I probably shouldn't. But here's what happened: is a couple times, is I I saw that sign right by the four-way stop in Saltilla, and I said nah, and I ignored the sign. I turned right and I got down there. But sure enough, it was completely closed. And I had to and I had to actually turn around. Now here's here's the point I'm trying to make. When I talk about repentance and change, and that it's not about sinless perfection but a change in direction. I could say that I believed the sign that said the road was closed, but my actions showed otherwise. Cuz I kept going. You follow me? You can say that you believe the word of God, but if there's no change in direction, folks, you don't actually believe. You just don't. But it starts with believing the sign that God has given us, his word. And the primary summary of this message is that he has made a way for you to be right with him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that if you believe that message, it creates in you a new root system of justification, of adoption, being brought into God's family that will absolutely produce fruit if you truly believe it. Very quickly, um, as we close, I just want to look at the Just just some of the descriptions here. We could spend a lot of time on this. But when it says that they believed and then when God saw what they did, well, what did they actually do? Number one, just in the broadest sense, but yet in some very specific ways, they humbled themselves. They humbled themselves. They called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the least of them to the greatest. Verse 6, when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne The seat that set him apart from everybody else. He got down off that thing. And he removed his robe, his outward cover that that set him apart from everybody else. And he covered himself with sackcloth and he sat in ashes. Men are great at creating categories. You get a bunch of people, men and women in a room. We we instantly begin to create these categories, this little caste system, informal caste system of status. But when God enters the equation, there's him and then there's everybody else. That's it. And they were not aware of God in this way before Jonah came and he preached this. But he told them that God was coming to their city and he was going to overthrow it. And again, the message of judgment was the means of mercy. But when God enters the equation, you see great acts of humility. And again, you didn't have to just sit around and, like, they didn't just sit around and say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty humble, you know, but God knows my heart. God knows that I'm humble. You could see it. I know that sackcloth and ashes is something that, that is culturally, uh, it seems irrelevant to us. But here's the point Sa- sackcloth was like we're going to put on a burlap sack. Okay? Not fine. Where's Matt Miller at this morning? Matt Miller was telling me about some awesome T-shirt he got this past week that's made from bamboo cotton. I don't know what bamboo cotton is. Maybe I don't know, but he was just saying how comfortable it is. Sackcloth is the opposite of bamboo cotton. Okay, it intentionally made you uncomfortable, itchy. Sorry, Matt, to just call you. Sometimes the illustrations just come to me in the moment, but um, but here's the point: is that they were intentionally not going to let themselves be comfortable, right? We love the idea of comfortable repentance. Folks, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. Yeah, I'm repentant, but you know, I'm just going to keep doing my thing. That is a false counterfeit repentance. If I can get real specific for, for, for a second, sometimes, you know, pornography is a great sin in our culture not just men, both men and women, but sometimes they'll talk with guys and <laughs> they're struggling with it and they'll be looking, with it on, looking at it on their phone or whatever. And, and hear me here, the, the, the ultimate answer is a thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what will set you free from pornography or any sin. But, here, but let me say this, is that what we'll, we'll start with though is like, okay, well, we need to come to Jesus here, okay? He's, he's the ultimate answer. But let's also, let's also put a block on your phone. Okay? sometimes i'll show them how to do that and here's the thing sometimes sometimes guys are not willing to do that and then you know what i say you don't really want to change you don't really want to change you want to say that you want to turn from this but you're not even willing to put a block on your phone you're not serious you just want to remain comfortable and just cruise along and say that you're repentant when you're really not we do this, and that's just one specific nuanced application of that. We do this all the time. Folks, I, I listen, what I'm about to say to you, I need you to say back to me, and you can challenge me. And we, folks, you gotta stop playing games. We have to stop playing games with our sin. And I can't say at all, that, You know, to stand up here this morning, I can't say, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown, yet 40 days and America will be overthrown. I have no idea, timeline. We've got the word of God and it's enough. But when he comes back, or when everything fails, and it will, because the Bible says that it will, and then Jesus will come and show that he's the true all in all. But when everything else fails, you don't want to be playing games. You you don't want to be playing games and I know that you know this yet all of us will just go through we'll, we'll leave this place today some of us just in a malaise of yeah, what he said was good, great but you won't change anything. Put on sackcloth, sit in ashes do whatever you need to do. Better to be uncomfortable and look a little weird than to remain unchanged and just to fake it. Verse 7 And he issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh by by decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor drink, beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. And again, the the idea of fasting here is you know, we we have physical needs. Like we, we need to eat, we need to drink. That's important. God provides that for us. But we have greater needs. And that is, we have spiritual needs. Needs that are going to matter for eternity. Not just skipping a meal. For Satan, let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Cloth. And then here's the thing. Not just humble themselves, turn from their evil, their evil way, but let them call out mightily to God. This is where we do need Revival. God's people, as God's people, we need to call out mightily to Him. Amen? Call out. When is the last time you can say with sincerity that for a season you called out mightily to God? I am all for praying on the drive to work, praying before meals. Pray in a brief prayer with your spouse, with your family before you go to bed. But when is the last time you called out mightily to God? And let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. The violence, the, the, the Ninevites, the Assyrian people, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. They were an especially violent people and I find it interesting here. That the king lists specifically the sin of violence. Okay, they had a bunch of sins going on, okay, just like we do, but they were especially aware of their cultural sins. And I was talking with some people about this this past week. I wonder what that is for us. Maybe it's violence. I mean, you could definitely list that, I suppose, but I think it's just, I know this is broad, it's just self just self we just love self the first generation to ever exist where almost every single person has a camera in our pocket and we will be known as the selfie generation it's not bad take your selfie it's fine we've all done it but don't be consumed with self and then verse 9 it says who knows who knows and again they're they're not doing this just to play games they're not trying to manipulate God they're not going god here here look what we're doing god now give us what we want or turn away from your anger towards us they say who knows who knows god may turn and he may relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish they didn't even know that this was going to work out for sure but they knew that it was the right thing to do and so they did it anyway that's what we need to do stop playing games and do what we need to do just because it's the right thing and then let god decide what he does with us worship team you can come up and we're going to close um Guys, I love you. I love you. I really do. More importantly, God does. But but I love you, and for those of you that call Mercy Hill home, I am thankful. I'm thankful that God has brought you into my life and that he has called us in this time and place in history to do life together and to worship Jesus together. Um, and I gain so much encouragement from you guys as I, as I interact with different people throughout the week. I really do. I really do. You know, this morning, um, over the, we, we used to take communion every week here. Many of you know that. But some of you started coming the last year and a half, and we just stopped doing it every week because of COVID, you know. And, and honestly, maybe we should have done it earlier. Maybe we should have never stopped. Maybe we did do the right thing. I don't know. We were just trying to navigate everything as best we could, okay? Like everybody has been over the last year. But we're going to take communion again this morning. But before we do that, I, as, as much as we can, and as much as God would help us, I want us just to sit for a second in sackcloth and ashes, and I want us to humble ourselves before God. Because folks, it's easy to point the finger at everybody else, and it's easy to point the finger at people in the government or, you know, wherever. And, and there's a lot of blame to go around, and there's a lot of people guilty. But guys, let's not think for a second that we're just all absolved from that. I, I'm just broken over our sin. I'm broken over my sin. I'm broken over the flippant way in which we treat it. And knowing that the only answer for my sin was the broken body and the poured out blood of Jesus Christ. So Nate, don't start playing for just a second. And I just want everybody just to bow their heads. And I just want us to pray. And honestly, if you want to pray silently in your heart right now, or if you want to stand stand up and pray out loud, that's totally fine with me. But we're going to spend just a few minutes... Calling out mightily to God. Jesus, we, we do not want to be ashamed at your coming. But we want to be your people who are standing like the wise virgins who had their lamps trimmed with oil. Waiting for the arrival of the bridegroom. Father, I pray that you would forgive us for our apathy, for our lack of indifference. I pray that you would forgive us for our deep, deep love and idolatry of comfort. I pray that you would forgive us for our love of caring so much about our reputation and what people think about us. I pray that you would forgive us for our great love of self, I pray that you would forgive us for being a culture and a people of lies. Our world, and even ourselves, we spew forth lies all the time. And we think nothing of it. And I pray that you would have mercy on us. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the ability To humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Knowing that you oppose the proud, but that you give grace to the humble. We pray that you would break our hearts in a fresh and new way. Because of our sin. Not just because of the consequence. Not just because, because we're sorry that we got caught. But we pray that we would be broken because of our sin. Because of what you had to pay for it, Jesus. We do trust you, God, as the king of the universe and truly the one who holds the whole world in his hands. We pray that you would please, please use our lives. And if we've been like Jonah, that you'd help us to get up. Just like we read this morning that the word of the Lord came to him a second time. And it came a second time because of your mercy. And Lord, that you would be merciful and patient with us. We know that you are. But that we would get up and we would go and we would walk in obedience to what you have for us. I pray that you would forgive us as a culture for for contaminating the source of the message that we've been given. It's it's true, Lord. We do care more about how our beef was raised and where our eggs come from than we care about the source of the message. We pray you'd forgive us. Jesus, I thank you for your great love and your kindness. And Lord, I thank you for the promise of your word that I've been reminded of this past week. What you said in John chapter 6, that all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never, ever cast out. Thank you for that promise, Lord. We have no other hope other than that promise. I thank you that it is enough. God, we love you. We pray that you would be honored and exalted through our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. You can stand with me.